Tom and Kathy, Darden and Belinda, Miguel and Tatiana, and Alfredo and his wife, Daniela, after church, there'll be a reception. We have some cake, and we've got some uh, lemonade, and I'm sure there'll be coffee left over. So just hang around for a few minutes after church and express your appreciation to our pastors. Then also one last thing. Um, I'm trying to think. Whoa. It, was an, it seemed like it was another thing related to murder mystery. Belinda needs the head count today. Sign up for appetizers, a vegetarian soup, or desserts. Toastmasters is going to take care of the chairs. So. <laughs> That's it. The food committee and decorating committee, Belinda wants to meet with them for a few minutes after the service too. So after the reception, stay a little while and meet with Belinda on that. With that, I will now return control to our illustrious pastor, Pastor Tom. I've never had control. <laughs> you cannot return it. I've never had it. Yes. That, that's, I'm sorry, that's the Toastmaster and me. And speaking of Toastmasters, we are having an open house today. So if you have, happen to want to improve on your communication or leadership skills, stay around and see what we do. If you want to talk better, <laughs> come to Toastmasters. He's uh, going to learn eventually not to give a microphone to the Toastmaster. Yeah. Well, you're supposed to be able to keep it under two minutes. <laughs> Forgot to set the timer yeah, little exactly. clock. I, uh, when I first moved to San Antonio, we were, we were here for the purpose of, of following God into what would become Hope Church. But we didn't have a church home, and I would go once a week to a Toastmasters meeting and I had one of the members of the group pull me aside afterwards one day, and he goes, man, I wish my pastor would go to Toastmasters. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, uh, let's see. I just want to talk to all the important people around here. If you are in fifth grade or younger, we invite you down for our children's chat at this time before you go to Hope for Kids. Come on up. Come on up. Come on up. That's where you're going to stay? You're hanging right there? <laughs> Good morning. How are y'all doing? All right. Doing good? Okay. Have any of you tried the mints that I've been giving out during this series? Did you like any of them? You did? Well... I have one I think you're going to like. This one actually is by the same company. Where'd they go? Someone took my... Never mind. I have some you won't like. Would anyone like a green peppermint? All right. All right. All right, so these are like super strong, right? You might not like them. Ellie doesn't like them. No. All right. Caden, you want one? All right. I'll 
Want to try one? All right. Anybody else? Smart. Very smart. So when you open this package, the, the paper inside has the word uncle on it. Okay? Yes, uncle. Um, so the, the outside of the box says that these are curiously strong, right? And what occurred to me, and the reason we're using this image for our sermon series, is that God wants your faith to be strong, to be curiously strong, right? And one of the things that he gives you to help your faith become stronger, there they are, okay, thank you. So these are strawberry. So if you didn't, you want a strawberry one? Okay, hold out your hand. Hold out your hand like that. There you go. You want a strawberry? Oh, you got a lot of them. Here, give one to Caden. You want a strawberry? All right. So these are not mint. They're strawberry. So they should be a little nicer to you. But they are still pretty strong. They've got a lot of taste, a lot of flavor, right? Do you like it, Ellie? Like the strawberry? Okay, good. So God wants our faith to be strong. There it is. And he gives us something to help us have a strong faith. I'm going to read you a verse from the Bible, and then we're going to talk about what it means. You ready? As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. So what does that verse say is all around Jerusalem? Mountains. And what does that verse say is all around you? Well, so as the mountains are all around Jerusalem, so the Lord is all around his people. So let's use a different metaphor, shall we? Uh, which way do you have to look to see a wall in this room? Every direction. Every direction. So which way would you have to look to see God's love? Every direction. He's all around you. He loves you. His love. And up and down, too. Yeah, we don't, if we look up, there's no wall. If we look down, there's no wall. But if you look up or down or all around, God's love is there, right? So God wants you to know that his love is always around you. It's always within you. That he, you have the God who made everything alive in your heart. That should give you a sense of security, of safety, of peace, to know that whatever's happening in your, in your world, who's got this? Up, down, all around, God. You agree? Right, left, down, up. Sideways. Upside down. And inside. You spend more, ups, more time upside down than anyone else I know. I know. It's crazy. 
bats spend a lot of time upside down. They do. And God's all around them, even when they're upside down. Okay, I think you get it. God loves you. He never leaves you. He's always around you. He's within you. And he loves you. And that gives us a sense of security so that whatever we're going through, we know God is there. Yeah, you cannot see God, but you can talk to God. Very good. Man, that was great. Like how Jesus is listening to us right now. Yes, sir. And Jesus can see us anytime he wants. Yes, he hears us all the time. He, and he loves us. And he also knows all the time. He does. He knows everything. Can I pray for you guys before you go to Hope for Kids? Yes. All right. Dear God, thank you that your love surrounds us, that you are always with us, that you are the God of strength and grace and love, and that no matter where we are, there you are. And you are there because you love us, and you want us to be stronger and stronger each and every day. We thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, and the love that you showed to us through him. And we pray your blessing on these children as they spend more time in your word and hope for kids. Fill them with your Holy Spirit and lead them into a deeper understanding of how much you love them. Your blessing over them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Yeah. And God is the son. That's good theology. God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why did I do four? That's only three. Love you. Wow. I learned a lot. They were, te they were teaching the children's chat today. That was good. All right. And then she just drops the Trinity on me at the end. Just boom. I love it. Will you join me in prayer as we prepare our hearts for God's word this morning? God, our loving Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you that we have your spirit within us to interpret your word, to bring it to life, to bring it to bear on everything that's going on in this world and in our hearts and we just pray that as we engage you through your word today, that you would help us to lay down the burdens of our hearts, that we might be more free to encounter you here through your word today. We lift to you our sins and our disappointments, and we thank you for the forgiveness, mercy, and grace that you have made available to us through the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. We lift to you those relationships in our lives that are strained, and we pray for peace and reconciliation where it is needed. We lift to you those whom we know and love who are sick or facing uncertain diagnoses, and we pray your healing mercies over your people. Lord, we lift to you those who grieve, and we pray that you would comfort their hearts. We lift before you our leaders in government at every level, elected and appointed, and we pray for wisdom and discernment in the decisions that are before them. We lift to you those who serve this country at so many levels, 
in uniform. We pray you would watch over and protect them. We pray especially for those who are in harm's way, that they would come home safely. And Lord, we lift to you those who've returned home changed as a result of their service. We pray your healing over them, mind, body, and soul. We ask that you would use us, your church, to minister that grace and healing to others. Be with us here at Hope, uh, throughout our denomination, around the world, with all who are opening your word today. May your word go forth through the mouths of your people and not return to you empty. And Lord, we lift to you those churches that we are connected to through our missions giving. We think of Paul and Elizabeth Branch in Guatemala and John and Diane Davis in Laredo, Texas. We think of Patchy in Maryland, Quesada in Havana, Cuba. We lift up uh, Pastor Alfredo and Pastor Miguel here at Hope Church and their families. We pray your blessing over what you are doing in their midst, in our midst. We lift to you um, Monica and Benjamin Bailey in the Middle East and Robbie and Joyce Hammed as they uh, continue to uh, bring your love to communities in Lebanon. Um, we just pray your blessing over them. We pray for peace in the Middle East as insane as that sounds. We just pray that you would bring about pathways for peace and healing among those nations. And Lord, we uh, thank you that you are the God of peace, the God of love, the God of grace, and that you are with us now. Be with us as we open your word, open our hearts, and speak to us today. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen. All right. So, we are in a series of messages. Uh, we are looking at the Psalms of Ascent, which begin in uh, Psalm 120, and they go uh, to Psalm 134. These were the songs that God's people would sing as they approached Jerusalem and as they entered Jerusalem and came into the courts of the temple. Uh, these would have been the songs in their hymnal, if you will. Every Jewish person of the time period would have been very familiar with these songs. They didn't need lyrics sheets. They knew these songs by heart. And these songs contain the echoes of God's heart for his people and the hearts of God's people for their creator. And so we've been looking through these Psalms of Ascent over the past few Sundays and we come today to Psalm 125, and each of these psalms bears out a different theme, a different aspect of what God wants for us in his call for us to grow and mature in his grace, to become the people who reflect the light and love of God to the world. And today, as we look at Psalm 125, that theme is very uh, clearly that of security. The images that the poet of this psalm, the author of this psalm, uh, engage are very much images of security and strength that are intended to make you, as God's child, feel as though he's got this. And so that's the theme we're kind of working with today. I probably don't have to uh, unroll for each of you those areas of your life where you need to feel more secure. There are relationships, there are circumstances, there are 
medical issues, all kinds of things that make us feel insecure as human beings. And I didn't even mention the emotional aspects of all of this, right? Like we are by nature prone to feelings of insecurity. And so God gives us in this psalm some very strong images that should speak to our hearts in ways that grant to us his sense of security that he wants us to live with. So, to that end, I would like to invite you to read along with me Psalm 125. It's not very long. And then we, I have a couple other scriptures I wanted to touch upon. And then we'll look at these images that are within Psalm 125. So, Psalm 125, a song of a sense. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. All right. So I want to uh, read a couple of other scriptures to bear out with you an idea that is really the reason I'm doing this is there's some understanding misunderstanding amongst current Christianity about some of the promises that are for God's people in this passage. So I want to just read a couple other passages, and we're going to bring it full circle, and I'll, I'll tell you what the point is in just a moment. But read the, with me these other passages and listen for this idea of what Israel is. We're going to listen for that idea. So from Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. And many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Come, Lord Jesus. Um, jumping to your New Testament, I want to read a brief excerpt from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 through 24. It, it's, it goes like this. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God 
the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Um, if you don't know the reference, the, Abel was the first victim of murder in the Bible, and his blood, the Bible says, cried out to God, who came down and, and, and settled justice with his brother who murdered him, um, by putting him into exile. And so this idea that God hears the blood um, and then it's this, this blood of Jesus that was spilled for our forgiveness, it says, is, is a better blood. It's a better, it's more effective. It does the opposite of what the bloodshed did in the Old Testament. So what is my point? I'm going to be very simple, as simple as I can be, it's this. Jesus is the mountain of the house of the Lord. When the Old Testament talks about Mount Zion, that's the, the hill on top of which the temple sat. In the temple were two things that are vitally important, the Ark of the Covenant and the altar of sacrifice. And those two places are fulfilled in Jesus through his death, his resurrection, and his ascension to heaven and the, the sending of the Holy Spirit upon his people. We've talked about this a little bit before in this series, but I want you to hear this loud and clear. Verse 1 of Psalm 125, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. You, in Christ, are the temple of of the Lord. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the dwelling place of God on earth. And therefore, Jesus, the author of the new covenant that brought us into this becoming of the temple of God, he is the house of the Lord, Mount Zion. You are Israel. Now, if you say that to your Jewish friends, that will be very offensive. And my intent is not to offend but simply to bring this all full circle, that as the Jewish Messiah, Jesus brings all of those who trust in the Lord into the house of God to literally become the house of God. You are the temple of God. Jesus is the author of that new covenant, and you are consequently Israel. And the reason I call you Israel is because you need to understand these promises are not for some far-off people that we are not connected to. The promises in these psalms are yours. You are part of this building of the kingdom of God, his temple, his presence, his purpose, and you are the recipient of all the blessings that are aimed at Israel in the Bible. You are, you are them, uh, okay. We're good? All right. What I would like to do now is go back to Psalm 125 and just move through some of these images and metaphors and try to understand what it is that God wants for us through this portion of his word. The first thing that we see in this psalm in verses 1 and 2 is very simply that God is our strength. We are to trust in God's strength. The image is very clear, and it's twofold. 
and it's, this is fascinating stuff. What does verse 1 say? That those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. You are the temple of God. His temple is built out of human souls, and you are one of them. And that structure cannot be moved, not because you're strong, but because the one in whom you trust is strong. And we go on in verse 2 to that side of the metaphor. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, not just for now, but from this time and forevermore. And so here we are in this imagery of strength and security. We are to claim our eternal security in Christ. I will be as clear as I can be. Jesus, when he went to the cross, had your name before him. And he points to his Father in heaven and says, this one, this one, despite everything this one has done, despite everything that's been done to this one, I'm claiming this soul for you. Another brick in the temple of our God. You are a glorious portion of that building of God. If Jesus claimed you while on that cross, who can take that away from you? No one. No one's going to rush in, beat up God, and steal you away. It cannot be done. And the most significant aspect of that, that no one, that includes you. Your doubts, your sins, your fears, your failures, none of that can take away the fact that Jesus pointed at you, pointed at his Father, and said, this one is coming home. So here you are, secure, loved, purchased by the blood of Christ. This cannot be undone. You are secure. You are part of God's eternal building. You're safe. The work, the striving is over. Now, we have other things to worry about, right? But first and foremost, we are, to, we are to claim our eternal security in Christ. Stand on that rock that no one can move. And we, as God's people, are to be people who extend a sense of security to others. So when other people around you are freaking out, you are to be the one who stays steady, and says to the situation, my God has got this. So whatever may come, God is in control. And there are all kinds of things that can go wrong in this life. We'll talk about that in a moment. But at the end of the day, one of the most uh, terrifying and simultaneously comforting aspects 
of the God we serve is he is not afraid. He's not afraid of death. He's not afraid of disease. He's not afraid of anything. He's not even afraid of our sin. He is fearless in the face of it all. And so he may allow tragedy to come. But in the midst and beyond, he's got you. You are his. He has redeemed you and called you by name. Know that your God is with you, that his love surrounds you, and that his love never ends. These are the images of verses 1 and 2, images of security and strength, allowing you in any circumstance to be at peace with your creator, to know that he is with you, that his love surrounds you, and there we are. Children of God in a chaotic world, and somehow he is able to manifest within us a sense of confidence and strength and security that he is in control, even when it may feel like he's not. He still is. He doesn't change. So we move to verse 3, and I need to um, just try to help all of us uh, access Hebrew poetry. There is in this verse a a pretty significant implication, and I want to make sure we all see it, okay? And it hinges on a single word, but if I can... If I can just sort of put verse 3, so in, verse, in verses 1 and 2, we see these images of strength that we are to trust in, both the strength of God and the strength that he imbues within us that we can give away to those around us. And then verse 3, if I'm reading it correctly, is just a reminder to expect difficulty in life. Expect difficulty Not everything is always going to go swimmingly. So, here's the implication. If you see in verse 3, it says, The scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous. So, the implication is that that scepter of wickedness will touch upon the land of the righteous. But that's not going to be the defining trait of our relationship with God. It will touch upon our lives. Chaos, wickedness, sin, destruction, despair, all of it will come about, but it can only touch. It cannot stay. It does not have this now and forevermore aspect. It only touches. It does not rest. That's the implication in verse 3. And so we, though we are to trust in God's strength, are to also expect difficulty. We are to know that we are not immune from evil or the consequences thereof. We are still going to mess up ourselves, and we're going to hurt others and ourselves and our relationship with God. This is part of life. However, this is not our defining characteristic So, we're to know that we're not immune from evil. It may visit from time to time, 
but you are not its dwelling place. The scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous. Your heart has been claimed by Christ, and while evil and its consequences may touch down there from time to time, they do not stay. This is not where they live. You are not its home. You're to know we're not immune from evil, and you are to know that you are not defined by evil. This is a passing reality, painful as it may be, and your ultimate definition of who you are transcends the events, the occurrences, the consequences of sin and evil. You have been redefined by the blood of Christ, and you are to find healing in Christ and freedom in Christ. So, going back to that Hebrews 12 passage, verse 23, says that um, the spirits of the righteous made perfect, that little verse, so perfect, the, the word that's translated there could better be understood as complete or whole, the, that you in Christ are made whole, that your healing is complete in Jesus. I don't know about you, but I don't feel completely healed. I feel old. I feel stuck in several ruts, in, several, in some of the relationships in my life. I, I feel very, very human most of the time. That is not my defining reality. We are part of a different family that transcends this life, that looks beyond the harshness of this world to the glory and beauty and peace of another, that we are ushered into through the love of God through Jesus Christ. This is who we truly are and who we will be forever. And so we we push through this life knowing that we're not immune from the touch of evil, but that we also are not defined by that evil. We are defined by the healing we find in Christ, the wholeness that he brings. And if you look at verse 24, I'll just talk briefly about the sprinkled blood that speaks to a better word than the blood of Abel that the blood of Abel, God heard because an injustice had occurred. The blood of Jesus came to reverse the injustice of sin, to reverse the equation of who we are for eternity, to take us from death to life, from darkness to light, that we are truly redefined by Christ and we are to live in freedom. That is emotional freedom, physical freedom, uh, whatever form of freedom you want to talk about, ultimately our freedom comes through Christ. So that you can even live somewhere where you do not have political freedom or physical freedom and still 
know what freedom is. Because Jesus has died to free you, to free you of your sin. Okay. We're to trust in God's strength. There's these images of strength and security. We're to expect difficulty, that the scepter of wickedness will touch down upon us from time to time. But we're not, we're not defined by that. We're redefined by the work of Christ. And at the end of this psalm, we remember that we are to battle for good. You could write that to battle toward good if you wanted to. But we are called into the fight between good and evil, to be agents of God's grace in this world, to forgive and to seek healing and wholeness and ultimately goodness. You see the author of this psalm shift in verse 4 to a prayer. In verses 1 through 3, He's talking to us. In verse 4, he shifts and he talks to God. And what does he say? Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. It is a prayer. It is a cry. We are to pray for God's goodness to come about, not just in our lives, not just in the lives of the people we love, but even in the lives of people we don't love. We are to pray for our enemies. We are to pray for all that God's goodness will be made manifest in them and to them. To pray for God's goodness. To align our actions with God's goodness. That is, to do good in this world. To show up. To live out our faith. To demonstrate the grace and love of God to those around us. We're to align our actions with God's goodness, and we are to align our hearts with God's goodness. We're to do good, and we are to be good. You, in Christ, are called good. I don't always act good. You might not always either. But we have been redefined by the blood of another to live differently, to live, to draw out of a different well that which gives strength and life and grace to those around us. And so we pray for God's goodness to come into our hearts, to live out, be lived out through our actions. We pray for God's goodness and we rest in God's goodness. The last line of this psalm is a call for peace this idea that God has reconciled all of our sin and we can actually rest in his grace. You are forgiven. All of your past sins, all of your current sins, all of your future sins, gone washed away by the blood of Christ. This, to me, is the greatest strength of our faith. That biblical Christianity or biblical faith, those who trust in the Lord, as verse 1 says, that's you, 
you have something that is irrevocable and that it completely redefines who you are. You are forgiven. And so think about how dangerous that is. Like, I would never have said to my kids when they were little, you're forgiven, do whatever you want. That's a terrible idea, right? But in effect, God says to us, you're forgiven. Past, present, future, all of it. I took it. So follow your heart. Really dangerous thing to say to a guy like me whose heart is frustratingly selfish. Because when, what, here's, here's how it works. I, I might say, woohoo, okay, I can do whatever I want then. Right? And then it hurts either me or someone else or both. And I come back and I'm reminded that I'm forgiven. I confess it. I give it back to him. He forgives. He's already forgiven me, right? And over time, we learn that what our heart wants ultimately is what God's heart wants. We get a little bit better over time at not racing into our own selfishness. But it takes time. And it took a sacrifice to make this pathway possible. But our God is not afraid of that dangerous offer of grace. You are forgiven. Uh, Martin Luther once said, so sin boldly. Right? That sounds like a terrible thing for a pastor to say. His point was, you're forgiven. Screw it up as badly as you want but you're forgiven. I love you. And I will work out through you redemptively, restoratively, every, every mess you make, I'm in it to help clean it up. And over time, you might learn it's better to not make terrible messes. You have other, other time then to enjoy other things. And so here we are in this relationship with a dangerous God who tells us that we are to let go of our need for vengeance and to take hold of our eternal peace. Those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon you. What God wants for you is to be at peace to lay down your weapons, to beat your swords into plowshares, and to pick up those implements of good and put them to work in the world. That his light might shine a little bit brighter because you and I have decided to make fewer messes and to start doing more cleanup. That we are his people, his temple, his work come to life to bear out his grace in this world. Will you pray with me? God, our loving Father, we marvel at your word <laughs> that you would say that because we trust in you, we are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever.
Lord, we don't always feel like Mount Zion. And so we return to you day after day in a posture of humility and repentance to seek your grace anew, to see your face again, to remember that you have purchased us for a price and no one can take that away. That we are safe in your arms, that you are a fortress, and that you have called us to go out and do good, to be agents of your grace in this world. We are not worthy, and we're not even that good at it. And yet, you have set before us what that, what that looks like in Jesus. And so, Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lead us each and every day to reflect the light of your love a little bit better, to show the grace of your heart to those around us. Fill us with your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.
Good morning, everybody. My name's Jason. I'm one of the elders here. John, I apologize. I forgot to put my name tag on, so don't beat me up later. But <laughs> we've come to the, uh, let me scooch over here a little bit. That way I'm in, but everybody else is in too. Um, so we've come to the part of our service called the offertory, right? And there's many components to the offertory here. There's a spiritual component. There's a financial component. Uh, it, it's all about giving. So on the financial part, we definitely do need to talk about that. Um, the church operates on your giving funds, but that's also a private matter between you and God. So there are a multitude of ways for you to give to the church. Uh, again, it is important. That's how we keep the lights on. That's how we pay for our mission work. That's how we keep God's word going in this world. Um, so make sure you check the bulletin. There's a QR code. There's also buckets in the back. Um, there's a bunch of different ways. Even uh, the website, you can do electronic giving. Uh, so avail yourself of that uh, ability so that you can, in fact, you know, help out with the church and, and take care of those things. There's also the spiritual part that we need to talk about. And Tom, your message today actually reminded me of something from my childhood, which was kind of cool, kind of creepy. Um, you guys will see why in just a second. So I grew up here in San Antonio, kind of out in the country. And where we lived, there really wasn't much around. You know, it was about, you know, 15 miles you had to go just to get into town to see things. And so we always had a lot of those, you know, traveling uh, carnivals. And some of them were a little sketch, not going to lie. Uh, but there was one ride. It wasn't really even a ride. It was just an, a, a thing. Um, but it was called an earthquake house, right? And so the whole premise is you would go in and you would try and make it from point A to point B while this whole thing is shaking and the ground's unstable and you're falling down and, and you're looking horribly silly the whole time and laughing and, and having a great time. Fast forward to us being adults, it's kind of a good analogy of how we go through our lives, right? We, we try and do things on our own, on unstable ground, everything's shaking around us, we're falling down, except we're not laughing, right? We're crying, we're crying out to God, we're in pain, we're suffering as we stumble through this thing called life. And it reflects back to Jesus being that foundation, that cornerstone, the thing that we need in our lives for us to be able to rely on, to have sure footing, to be able to make it through this life. Now, granted, yeah, there's going to be times that we're going to run into problems. We're going to stumble. We're going to fall. We're going to suffer. But we reflect back on Jesus and the sacrifice that was made for us and knowing full well that everything has been washed clean for us. So as you go out in life, remember that Jesus has already paid for these things, that God has already washed you clean. And whether you're in the valley or you're on the mountaintop, that God is there with you. And he's, he's carrying you through all these things. So trust in him. Rely on, on his saving grace. And just use that to kind of fuel yourself to continue to that uh, promise of eternity that we have for us. So as the music plays, uh, take a moment to just think about and reflect on the message, what it meant to you and everything like that, and then we'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your great love for the sacrifice that you were willing to make on the cross on our behalf. And although we stumble and fall and we run away from you and we're disobedient children, you still love us and you still chase us. And you still 
you still pursue our hearts no matter what, Lord. So again, just thank you for, for that never-ending love, for the sacrifice that your son made on our behalf, for that firm and solid foundation that we have through Christ. It's in his holy and precious name we pray. Amen. You stand and sing one last song with us, and as you do, uh, just give you a little bit of history lesson for those of that might not know this. Get, get to the right song there. Um, the Psalms, all the Psalms are songs, right? They were all things that were sung, and we don't know exactly what the tunes were to those. Maybe they had dozens of tunes to those. I don't know. Maybe different different groups sang them differently, but. Um, we don't have those, but what we do have is a lot of people who have gone through the Psalms and created songs for us. And so uh, this last song, you should all recognize the words because this is Psalm 125. So think of this as your Psalm 125, our Psalm 125. When we sing in, about God's security, about God's uh, uh, strength in protecting us, this is, this, is the, this is the song that we sing.